guys, it's Bennett. Uh, before you start the episode, uh, I just want to say I apologize. I haven't been able to make it the last few weeks. Uh, but uh, this is our 50th episode, and I just want to say thank you to everyone who's been a part of it from the start uh, to just listening to the big episodes to whatever it is. Thank you. Uh, I didn't think we'd ever make it to 50 episodes, but here's to 50 more, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. We're on a new site. You'll see when I post the episode. We've moved all our stuff over to a new site that's just easier to use. Uh, don't fret. Uh, I apologize if all of the episodes re-downloaded to your phone. It happened to me. I was able to stop it. But because we moved it to a new site and we switched the, the thing, it acted like they were all brand new. Uh, but thank you again. Uh, 50 episodes is not a small number. Uh, I just want to say thanks again to you guys. And uh, yeah, enjoy the episode. I think I'd rather die in nuclear war than go to only Penn State was in the Atlantic <laughs> Panel. You know what? You know what? the little spinners. Saturday night, December 7th. Coming live from my apartment, this is Curry Hicks Sage with another episode of the UMass Basketball Podcast. Now, it has been, I think, two and a half weeks or so, two two weeks and change, um, without an episode. And the truth of the matter is that that's a function primarily of things going on in my personal life. I've been pretty open about that on Twitter. Just had a second kid, um, which is obviously a blessing, but also uh, takes away your ability to not just do a podcast because the truth is you kind of have weird amounts of time when you're off work and um, home but it's just weird time anyone who's had a kid knows that but um, so I'd love to blame this on uh, you know the birth of my kid but some of it's just like I haven't quite had the juice to figure out precisely what I want to say and when I want to say it because of the nature of this team and because I've been probably getting too much of it out on Twitter, so it's like, I don't, I, and I don't like when the show ends up being uh, a regurgitation of whatever I said on Twitter. So I'm going to try my best to kind of tonight encapsulate thoughts from the last five games and catch everybody up in terms of my takes. And, uh, you know, hopefully the mailbag will be fruitful as well. So anyway, this is the UMass Basketball Podcast brought to you by five college movers, stress-free moving in the Pioneer Valley and beyond. You know, the five college guys actually bought my tickets today on a just no no questions asked. They were like, yep, we need two extras. Boom. Paid me more money than they owed me for them. They're just like, yeah, just take 75 bucks. It was like 60. Just no questions asked, prompt, thorough, efficient, just as they are as a moving company, if you're going anywhere in Western Mass, if you're going anywhere beyond Western Mass, use five college movers. They'll take care of you. Friends of this program, friends of UMass Athletics. All right. So we're going to open the show tonight. It's just me, and uh, there is no guest, and we will get back to doing guests soon. That actually was a function of me um, having a kid. I, I had a couple of guests I was going to have on for South Carolina and Harvard, and the kid was just born right in that in that kind of chunk of time and Rutgers we were going to have a guest but it was literally like during Thanksgiving so no excuses but onward so 
I just want to sort of start on a bit of an existential note because, you know, when I started the Curry Hicks Sage Twitter handle probably four or five years ago, um, it was really primarily a function of just like friends of mine telling me that my real Twitter account, they didn't want to hear about UMass basketball because people followed me for, you know, just my friends and whoever else. Um, and I was just like, all right, I'll just start an account for that. And, you know, I'd always post on UMass Hoops under a different name and, you know, like always been super engaged with UMass basketball and it was always a fun passion of mine and a, um, kind of just like my, my go-to side interest, but I never really envisioned <clears throat> um, the handle and the kind of UMass Twitter community that that, that would come with it um, growing to to the level that we have it at now. And it's not massive, but it's far more substantial than I think I probably ever anticipated. And that's been, I don't, I don't really want to even call it a dream come true because it wasn't like I dreamed it. it. It's just been a delight. It's been a lot of fun. And I've met, you know, a ton more people. And, you know, there's been people who I, I think I've, I, it's fair to say I've become friends with through, through this and, you know, in real life. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's offered, um, you know, just a fun sort of online community and taken up, frankly, a larger share of my free time than I had anticipated, despite the fact that, you know, I always posted on UMass Hoops and I always enjoyed tweeting about this stuff. And it was, it was, you know, for whatever reason, and I've discussed it on the show before, you know, um, just always a passion of mine, fanatical at times for sure, but I, I never quite knew it would crystallize in this way in which, um, you know, so many people um, came, you know, came to, to UMass Twitter and it just keeps growing by the day. Um, and by the way, that's like not me, that's that's tons and tons of people. I just have, because of this show in part, have had the um, privilege of like touting that, that world and, and spreading the message and wherever I could. And so, you know, it, it, it kind of reached a bit of an apex this week when the uh, UMass athletic staffers like put my kid's birth on the jumbotron. I was really touched by that, and um, you know, it, it just it just was a, a really you know it was a, it was an honor, honestly. And I note all this at the outset because you know the Creek Sage thing. Um, it, it as good things I think on the internet do tend to be, um, and UMass Twitter in general, I, it came about organically, I, not because of some like artificial push, but it, it ended up giving me um, like a place, I don't want, you know, it's definitely not at the center of the UMass athletics world by any means, but it, it's firmly, I would say, within the firmament. Um, and that's been like flattering and exciting and at times like kind of strange because now, as I've said in the show before, um, there are there are parents who, of players who listen to the show. There are players who engage me on Twitter. I talk to coaches at times, um, and you know it's it's probably changed a little bit of a little bit of how I do the show. Um, but what happened today and what has happened in the last four five games kind of brought me back to just intense, visceral, in-game, reaction-style fan tweets. Like, 
you might want to call it vintage sage, if you will. I mean, that was kind of like <laughs> how I got my start in this little tiny, you know, corner of the internet. And I, I note all that, <clears throat> excuse me, because here I am, you know, stuck in my two bedroom apartment in New York City with two kids and sort of realizing that like, wow, this has become a larger part of my identity than I ever imagined. And whenever I have that feeling, there's this kind of weird, like two pronged approach that, that I, that I feel on the one hand, it's basically, um, well, that's cool. As I just noted, you know, it's an honor and all that. On the other hand, it's like, what the fuck is wrong with me? And the latter piece, the what the fuck is wrong with me piece, the kind of psychological existential dread piece, comes out acutely after moments like what happened today in that Harvard game. Because you start realizing that as this is, or I start, I've started realizing that as this has become like a more part of like my, my free time and my adult identity here, um, the struggles magnify kind of the absurdity of it all and raise questions about like, what are we doing here? Like, what are we doing? And I say, in other words, what am I doing? Because, and, and that's on some level silly and maybe it's my own insecurities and I don't, I don't want to make this like all about my own fucking neuroses for the, for the show. It's not, I, don't, I really don't want to make the show about that. We're going to get into the team in a second and we're going to break down all the stuff. But I do feel, I did feel today, and, and, I, and I think my sense is the other diehards of this program felt today that this particular loss and the manner in which it happened kind of acutely magnified the sense of dread that many of us feel when it comes to being not only fans of UMass basketball and UMass athletics, but kind of if frontline evangelizers, if you will, people who try to spread the word about what's going on, and people who, in part because the athletic, this current athletic administration has done such a good job at engaging with us, that have felt, I think, some sort of, some, somewhat of an obligation to continue spreading that gospel and to continue being excited about this. And because of what's, you know, developed on UMass Twitter and the kind of interactive nature of it, it's allowed us to kind of form this bond together and then spread that, you know, to the other, to the sort of next tier of UMass fans and the next tier of UMass fans. And today in particular was represented this golden opportunity, I think, to just prove that the thing we talk about a lot, that the thing that the five or six or 700 of you who listen to this show regularly um, identify with is a real thing. And I mean, on one hand, of course, it's a real thing. How is it any different than fandom of any of any sport? But the reality is, as UMass fans, as college athletics fans in the Northeast, there is always a sense of this being an uphill battle, of the effort we put in being uh, more unique than, say, being a Bruins fan or being a Celtics fan or being a whatever. And maybe it's not. Maybe that. Maybe we're all just special snowflakes and we think that our tiny corner of the internet is, is unique. But I do think that, you know, it is kind of unique. I mean, this is not a region 
given to, you know, like widespread fanaticism for collegiate athletics. And so what we've what we've sought to cultivate, or at least what I've sought to help cultivate is, you know, a sense of we're in it together and we're going to kind of help let other people know we're going to plant the flag to use a word, you know, from UMass. We're going to say we're here, you know, like this is something we care about. But what happens is when you lose five in a row, just after, by the way, generating some new buzz and getting that next tier of casual fan a little bit engaged again, as has so often been the case over the last two and a half decades, really, when you when you lose five in a row and you lose a game like this, you just sort of look at yourself and say, like, why? why? Like, why do I do this? Like, what is it about this that I keep coming back to? And, you know, I mean, now I'm, I'm at a point in my life where, like, and, yeah, now I get a little money for doing this, and that's great, but, you know, basically it's just a passion project. And so when you, you know, um, you know, when you, it can be hard to justify a passion project for a thing that doesn't generate passion outside of your relatively small sphere of, uh, you know, friends and online, you know, acquaintances. And today was just all the worst of those doubts that I sometimes have just completely in one fucking game, you know, in a two hour stretch, because if we'd gone on the road and like got smoked 89-54 by, I don't fucking know, like Wake Forest or some like middling power five program, you know what, like it's a young team, you were gonna put up a stinker, you know, you're kind of overdue for like a disastrous performance and you kind of rationally just like move on, you know? You get smacked at Vanderbilt, like whatever. It's just, that's life. You, you go to Pitt or something and lose by 35. It's like, frankly, it was what, what happened last week at Rutgers. So day after Thanksgiving, you get smacked, you didn't play well, they, they shot lights out and you move on, you get back to it the next day. But the Harvard game, for the relatively small sphere of fanatical UMass fans has taken on this really unique significance in kind of like post-glory years UMass fan lore. There's really nothing like it. We had some kind of fan takeovers at BC before they cut the series in like 2013. And... You know, there's been some interesting things in hockey where we've kind of taken over some other barns and, you know, shown like the UMass nation in, in mass. And there's been some experiences that are, are fun for UMass fans outside of Amherst, but none, in my opinion, comparable to what we have built. But I really do believe that the UMass Twitter community and the UMass kind of diehard community has built, you know, and I, and I, and I, I say that as someone who has, you know, in, in, of all the fucking absurd shit we tweet about and talk about, the one, like, genuinely, like, tangible thing that we have, I do believe, created and provided for our, for our players, for our coaches, has been this thing in which we go to, you know, the quote-unquote best school in the country, you know, on their campus, a team that's been the dominant power in Massachusetts for almost a decade now. 
and just completely take over their gym. And yeah, it fits 1,600 people and, you know, it's not in the grand scheme of things maybe like the most significant thing in the world. But again, it, it's, it's a validation of all that of all our kind of irrational fanaticism. It's a tangible manifestation of everything that kind of makes uh, being a UMass diehard worthwhile. And it's one of the reasons I was obviously so devastated I couldn't make it today. I mean, and obviously I couldn't because I have a four-day-old and a toddler and a wife who's like genuinely struggling after her second, you know, child. So, um, but... The point is, like, to go in that arena and, like, the tweets before the game, people were tweeting, like, that the UMass players walked out and, and you could, like, palpably, to steal a Rothstein line, palpably feel just how, like, impressed or kind of awed they were by the UMass presence, right? Like, I saw it on, on TV. Like, that place was all UMass people, at least from what I could tell. And... You know, to, to, to create that, right? It's not it's not insignificant, right? Like, if 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 everything we do is insignificant, sure, yeah, it's insignificant too. But in the grand scheme of all the fucking thousands of tweets that go around every week among UMass diehards, and you know the chat that goes on wherever you talk to your friends about UMass athletics, this game, and this is now like the fourth or fifth one we've had there, um, it's just grown each time, and we've just taken over the gym and that's a significant statement for a program that has really struggled for two plus decades that we still have enough of us out there that we can do something like that and so when you go out and lay an absolute egg that feels personal as a fan and you know I've said it a million times like I don't believe that anything I do is unique as a UMass fan other than the podcast. And so if this is my opportunity to do and to do my best to channel the, the the rage and the frustration of UMass Nation, if this is my one place to do it, like let me be very clear to any staff, players, family players listening to this game, whatever. We're deeply disappointed and we have every right to be because we still give a shit, and a lot of people have left this train, and they hop on periodically. Sometimes, like for like days, like for days to, like for days like today. Excuse me. And so it's it sucks when you go out there and you don't play your ass off for forty minutes, and you don't contest every shot, and you take shots early in the shot clock that are just careless and you don't take a charge when you can like that's the stuff that you know we can't live with that i mean yeah we'll live with it but i'm saying like if you want to increase engagement even from the diehards if you want to maintain engagement even from the diehards you got to play your fucking dicks off and we just didn't get anything close to that today no reasonable UMass fan, none, believes that this team with all seven freshmen and a bunch of sophomores and blah, 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 is going to be world beaters. And I think I made fairly clear, at least on Twitter, even when they were 5-0, and that there were immense challenges ahead. And we all knew that this stretch of the schedule was immensely difficult. 
But that is not an excuse to come out in a game where your fans took over an opponent's gym and just play like dog shit from an effort perspective. No excuse. And and so, you know, you move to five and five. It's not the end of the world. It's about where I thought we'd be. But you got there in a fashion that I just, it's just, it just makes you question like, why am I doing this? Why am I putting in, like, why am I putting in this kind of, why am I with a fucking newborn? And I'm questioning myself too, so don't get me wrong. It's not just me yelling at the players or the coaches. Why am I, like, facilitating, you know, like, ticket transactions between, like, family friends who usually meet me at this game each year and UMass Twitter people who I've never met under pseudonym like maybe it's a, so so and my point is like why am i doing that an hour before the game right like because i love this and i care about it and it's a fun community we have and and i'm happy to do that and it's not i'm not trying to martyr myself i'm just pointing out that like if you want the mullen center to be sold out like and you're frustrated about the attendance that you get there or whatever like go play your ass off when you do get a zillion UMass fans taking over an opponent's barn. Like, come on. You know what I mean? And and so I think I think when you care this much and you kind of just don't feel like that that commensurate effort is there from the people you're putting effort into rooting for and spreading the message about, it's a real shame. And you question like, you know, is this the most worthwhile use of my of my time? Um I'm sure I'll be, you know, not questioning as much soon. And, and, and I do believe that things in the long term are, are, are actually good for this program. But, you know, and then and then on top of that, there's there's a couple things from players and, and others, I think, where they see our disappointment or, or displeasure or frustration. And somehow, like, there's this there's this thing that kids always do where it's kind of like, if you weren't with us, then, you you know, you won't rock with us later when we're whatever killing everybody and it's like that's not how it works because guess what just to think anything in life if you care about it you're going to get upset about it so let me be very clear calling out kids by their twitter handle or bashing kids relentlessly by name is a bad fucking look don't do it don't do it but Call out a kid for not going after a loose ball and say, I'm frustrated by that. I mean, there's a way to do it, right? Like, we don't, I don't want to be the language police here. And I understand people are going to freak out in-game in and just, like, lose it on guys. There's a way to do it. We can talk about that another time. But as I always say in the show, if you, to the, and if a player's listening, is what I want to say, or if their family's listening, if you want UMass to be what these other programs are, we need... 20 times more people on Twitter going batshit crazy over every little thing. That's the expectation that you have to live with if you want to be great at this level. That's it. There's no, and and if you're not prepared for that, I mean, I'm going to be honest, I probably catch more shit than players do on this account. And it ain't that much. You know, people bitch at me for one thing after the next like 
it's not, it, that's just life. If you're putting yourself out there at the division one level and you want to be great, you got to accept some of this. If it's personal and it's obnoxious, I'm going to be the first one to call it out. Those people are assholes. Fuck them. Okay. So let me be, just be clear about that. But if you're playing poorly and you're not giving great effort, like you might hear about it a little bit from me. And if you hear about it from others, don't take it so personally. Do better. People have short attention spans these days. Always have short memories when it comes to sports. Go play your heads off against Yale and we'll, you know, most people move on. People can step back and understand that these things are, you know, day by day matters. But you got to realize that in real time, as the game is transpiring and you're not seeing that effort after you've planned to take over an opponent's gym for six months in a coordinated fashion, like don't expect, don't, don't be surprised when people are really disappointed. That means we care. If there were more people like us, this program would be a lot better. All right. So that's my thoughts existentially. Let's move on to kind of where we've been the last five games. So it's interesting because <coughs> the last time we did a show, we were 5-0. and All was great. And I made clear that, you know, we weren't always going to be 5-0, and but I'm going to celebrate the team while they were. And I did. I praised everybody. I loved the chemistry. I loved everything that was happening. I always had some doubts in the back of my mind, and I feel like I've conveyed some of them, maybe on the show, maybe on Twitter. But, you know, I'm not rocking the boat when, when things are going well because I'm responding in real time. Cut ahead to the next, the last five games. Let's break them down. And as we said at the, in the preview show and as we've said other times, the reality is this is a an improbably difficult stretch of games and we always knew there was going to be a bunch of L's so you've got to look at how those L's came to be before you assess sort of like who the team is and where they are the Virginia game was actually a very good performance effort wise and that's all you can control sometimes the ball is not going to go in the hoop I think they were like 5 for 26 from 3 the nature of the way UVA played made it such that you know there probably wasn't going to be a huge blowout but even so we competed till the final whistle you know we got some buckets late there was some frustration frustrated there were some things I was frustrated about with um with weeks not playing early enough in that one and us getting off to a bad start but by and large you know got to be pleased with the compete level the next day at Mohegan Sun and by the way it was awesome seeing just like hordes of UMass fans in that arena when Trey Mitchell hit like his third in a row to end the first half, that was the most electric vibe <clears throat> I've had. I've seen it in UMass basketball in quite some time. Like it felt like we were turning a corner in terms of culture. But these things are short lived. You know, the the nature of college hoops is it's a transient business. It's it's like you know you, you do something great and then it you know you got to be with it every second. So the next day. We played St. John's, got off to a good start. We led like 38, 37 at halftime. And in the second half, they kind of threw a matchup zone at us and beat our press and ran away with it and won by like 15. We just went completely cold. But it was very much not a 15-point loss. I mean, we were winning by like six with like 14 and change to go, I want to say. And we just couldn't buy a bucket. We looked tired. You know, we we just... And, and St. John's was a decent team, and it was like, whatever... That's a young team, and it's an easy one to write off. You're like, all right, we're 5-2, and two. like, fine. So you have now 
five days or four full days to get ready for Rutgers. A quality Big Ten team um, who I think has really turned the corner and Steve Pekeel has done a really good job there. But I thought, okay, you know, full days, you know, full bunch of days rest. Yeah, they're physical. We're not. But, you know, I think we can hang with these guys. And I think this we were like probably a six, seven, eight-point underdog, something like that, which felt about right. And, you know, I went to that game, and we started off fairly decent. Weeks hit, like, a crazy bank three to put us up, like, 20 to 14 with, I don't know, seven and change left in the first half, like, eight and change left, something like that. And you felt like, okay, we can hang with these guys. It's going to be a grinded-out game. And then they just smacked us in the face. We couldn't hit a shot. They demolished our press. And... They ran away with that game and won by 25, but they kept their starters in until the very end. We didn't, and they were, like, hitting some ridiculous shots in the very end. And it was more like a 16-point loss. Like, not to make excuses, but, you know, it was like we we actually played pretty well for a stretch there in the second half and kind of cut it to, like, 12 for a while, and just they kept hitting tough shot after tough shot. They played really well. We then started missing you know good looks from three Pierre really struggled um Trey Mitchell struggled and we lost and honestly I sat in like the second row for that game and I had a real appreciation for the challenges of playing on the road because it's extraordinary um the it's not that it's not that the refs are like I mean the refs are inherently a little biased there's there's been like actual academic research on this but the refs are a little bit biased towards the home team just because they're going to hear it from their fans. But the way that really plays out, and there's something about being really up close where you where you have a new appreciation for this, was like we would commit like a touch foul and it would be ticketed. And then they would kind of like commit a touch foul and it wouldn't be ticketed. And there's those 50-50 calls that really change the complexion of a game, especially for a pressing team like UMass, because now you just can't play with the same physicality, and all of a sudden, they're going over the top of you, and you're ha- you're having to sort of back off, and you can't play with the intensity on D that you need to, and it's funny, because like, we probably got away with a bunch against South Carolina, I you know, I feel like Frank Martin at points was justified in feeling like we were getting the calls, it was a similar thing, right, and so... That's why, though, in a game on the road, like, when it goes from, like, that's the way it, get, it can get from 7 to 15 really quick, and then they just built on that. So it was a bad loss. Um, I was disappointed, but, I, you know, I felt like in many ways it was just a function of, like, yeah, our rebounding was dog shit, as it has been all year, and our lack of, uh, you know, physicality down low was piss poor. But some of that's just, like, we're not good in those areas and you just want to see some better effort but like some of it was just they just had strength that we didn't you know like that so I was bummed but I wasn't like irate or like especially angry okay so you have four or five more days to prepare for South Carolina comes in the Mullen Center a South Carolina team that like you know I, I think if you're a very casual observer of collegiate athletics, you might think, oh, they were in the Final Four three years ago. That's a little like saying in 1999 that UMass was in the Final Four three years ago. 
by that point, they were like a fringe NIT team. It wasn't the same team. So it's, it's a little deceiving, right? It's, it's in, in fact, incredibly deceiving. Needless to say, they're a solid team. They're an SEC opponent. They have some legitimate players. They had a stud um, whose name now is eluding me um, come back from injury. The kid Bryant uh, is a Keyshawn Bryant. And it was a legitimate matchup. But the bottom line is, like, UMass played well for a lot of that. They took, like, a 50-47 to 47 lead with maybe 11, 12 minutes to go. And had a chance to kind of, you know, the place was ready to explode at Mullins. There was some good energy in the building. And then they just kind of pissed away some possessions, didn't play, you know, super tight defense. And one thing led to another. And, you know, the pre- our press was, you know, like Swiss cheese at points. And... You know, we lost the game. And then we started playing our heads off again really late and cut like a 10, 11-point lead to two. And like damn near had a steal that, that would have tied it. So it's not as if we're incapable, right? Like we have guys who can score the basketball and we have guys who can um, defend when they sort of want to um, or when they're connected as a unit. But... You don't do that for 40 minutes, and you're not going to beat respectable Power 5 teams. So, fine. You can chalk that up to youth and, like, a good learning experience, however frustrating it was. Kind of look at the Rutgers game as just, like, not our day. Rutgers shot lights out. We missed some shots. And the the St. John's game is, like, you know, a bad 10 minutes after playing 30 hard minutes and, excuse me, uh, 50 hard or 60 hard minutes in... Uh, or, you know, 70, I guess, because 40 and 30, 40 Virginia, 30 in the first part of that game. Um, And Virginia is, like, obviously defending national champs, so you can kind of, like, justifiably uh, not write them off, but it's, like, it's kind of part of the process. Like, nobody who's reasonable is going to be, like, overly angry about any of that other than, like, spurts of maybe each, you know, a a couple of those games. But taken in total, it's kind of like, all right, you know, life moves on. So now you're playing a Harvard team that, and yes, I know Bryce Aiken was out earlier in the year. um, (coughs) But, you know, and and I probably said they were better than they were. um, And it's kind of, I I may not want to face the music on that. They may not actually be as good as I think they are. We might have just been way worse than I'm even pondering. But the reality is, like, this is a game that every single year, and there's been wider gaps between these teams in terms of talent. Two years ago, we played like seven guys, and McCall had coached like one game. And like half of those guys were like dudes who are currently at St. Francis or played like their final year at Albany. Or, I mean, it was not a decorated roster from a talent perspective. So, and we lost by two in overtime. So, my point is like, that's a game that. When you when you give when you when you take a gym over like that, it's basically a home game, and it and it's always close. You're just like you know what you know you're gonna get a great effort, and maybe the guys don't shoot well, but um, you know this game is gonna be close. Like when I saw that Harvard was a nine point favorite, I was like, well, a the Vegas probably isn't paying that close of attention. It doesn't even. They've done, 
they haven't done like we beat Northeastern they lost Northeastern you know I know they had a chance to win over bad Texas A&M team Maryland but they like I think they only beat Holy Cross by eight like this is not a Harvard team that's like they're very good I, I mean I thought they were terrific and if they get Seth Towns back which I don't know if they ever will because that's a weird situation but it, uh, they could be like really good but they're not like I mean you're not playing Duke you know what I mean like you're not playing North Carolina like so you combine the fact that you're not playing a team like of that caliber and that it's in a road environment where your fans have taken over and maybe I'm overstating the significance of that but I don't think I am right like that should give you at least a lift out of the gate and you just put up an egg from I mean wire to wire and there were moments where you're just like I mean, there was a moment I feel like it was maybe like 23-17 and we just like threw the ball away and they got an and one and it just like, you know, ballooned. And then, and then to Matt McCall's credit, he sort of was like, fuck it. These guys aren't defending. I'm just going to play the guys who defend. So he put in a lineup for the last like four or five minutes of the half there of like Pierre, Keon... Dejiri, and maybe like I don't know, Sai or or or, or Samba, and and, be, and Preston for a little, and basically it was like just defend, get some stops, and they did, and they actually cut it to thirteen, and maybe kind of could have cut it to eleven, you know, but at least you were like like a shot clock violation, a couple turnovers, and you're like, all right, like given the crowd that's there, and given the environment, like, this team's going to turn the corner here, and they're going to at least make this a respectable basketball game. Some Harvard guys were in foul trouble. They'd actually done, the one thing they did well on the day was shut down the Bryce Aiken kid, who's a stud. We threw bodies at him left and right, and he got in early foul trouble, and you're like, okay, like, maybe we make this a game. Then there's that wretched, I mean, genuinely wretched, um, phantom goaltending call on the, on the, on I think Sai, which which I thought was a foul, so I thought Dejiri was going to come down and hit and like go for one and one, and then they mis- just bizarro world called a phantom goaltend to take it to fifteen. McCall goes understandably because it was a wretched call, goes positively batshit crazy. Picks up a tech, basically asking for it. And he slams the scores table. Third or fourth time this year that's happened. He's asking for it. He gets it. They go to the line. They hit two. They go up 17. We come down, waste the possession. Um, I don't even, I think Sai does something dumb. And it's, and it, and we get a stop to end the half to go in down 17. Even at that point, you're like, all right, McCall shouldn't have done that. This should be. Maybe an 11-point game if DeJerry goes to the line there. Maybe even go two for one. I mean, I'm, I'm coming up with fanciful scenarios now. I mean, you know, you're not probably going to get it to nine, but at the absolute worst, e- even with that bucket, it's 15, which is bad, but not insurmountable when you think of the way that, like, TJ and Carl can shoot. Instead, it's 17. It feels insurmountable. You go into the locker room, you come back out, and you're like, all right, let's just chip away at this a little bit. A little bit. 
You know, like, let's try to get this a 10, get the crowd into it, whatever. Bang, 7-0 run in, like, a minute and a half to go down 24. Just and put the game away for good. Came out completely lifeless. It looked like we were standing in quicksand. Just a bad effort all around. And, in, in, and I think that's where you see, like, if you play, you know, on your heels against a respectable team for two, three minutes and they, they hit a couple shots. Because, by the way, that could have happened at points in the first half, too. Harvard had some sort of weird turnovers and it could have been worse at points. If you play like that like and they, and they capitalize and they get a couple offensive rebounds when they got so many offensive rebounds, I'd love to see the stat sheet. You are going to find yourself down 24 and out of a game. Like, bang, that's it. You can, you know, attribute that to youth or whatever, but to me, kids are still basketball players. Like, they have to, they have to understand compete level. Like, I, I get it. Like, there's going to be decision-making stuff, like East decision to take a bad three at one point, like on a one-on-four. Like, that stuff, like, okay. You can kind of, like, that's youth, and you can kind of work with it. But just, like, not, you know... Like, our help defense was wretched. Today. There was no communication. We just, you know, it's like, we just were like, all right, like, I got screened. I'm not going to fight through it that hard. Like, maybe I'll fight through it a little bit, but, like, I'm not going to go in there and just, like, go balls to the wall. And we're not good enough to beat teams when we don't do that. You know, if you're Kansas, you can, you know, take a couple possessions off and then just kind of get your shit together and win by seven or whatever. We We can't. And there's not... Uh, a real margin for error here. And the thing is, in the first five games, like, we we played really hard. Like, really hard. Today, we didn't. And for stretches of the previous four games, or previous three games, really, we didn't. And I think today, we just saw what it looks like when a pretty solid team takes advantage of that. But, you know, then, even after the game was basically over to 24, we actually rattled off a quick like 7-0 run of our own to cut it to 17. And the game opened up, which I thought played to UMass's advantage here. I thought we wanted to get out and go because Harvard was so good at shrinking the floor, collapsing the paint, basically forcing UMass to take you know, contested threes, doubling when Trey would touch it. So when the game opened up, you're like, all right, 17. And it was kind of high scoring and quick possessions. And Harvard wasn't really, didn't, seemingly wasn't really in the mood to slow the game down so you're like all right we're down 17 and it's like 14 something to go and you're like again maybe we can get it to 10 at the eight minute mark whatever bang once again like what what was probably a 7-0 run put the game out of hand and you're just like why like and it was just and it was for lack of effort and lack of quality shots like bad shot selection and bad defensive effort and not crashing the boards like it's just you know I just want these kids to understand like that's all we want like just play your ass off like that's it like and, 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 and this gets to my big overarching takeaway which I've alluded to on Twitter but if you look at the kind of if, if you were to describe this team to an alien who wanted to know what was up or someone who you know doesn't have to be an alien it could just be a casual fan 
they're like, what's up with UMass this year? What's their story? You would say, I think, you know, the kind of one or two sentence encapsulation is, look, um, the offensive firepower that we have in our freshman class is not quite up, is not up to par in terms of 40 minutes of defensive intensity thus far and physic and ability to play uh, physically for, for 40 minutes. Flip side of that is these, the more experienced guys who really can defend and play really hard don't have the offensive firepower such that you don't have the offensive firepower to stay in the game for 40 minutes because you're not going to score. And McCall alluded to this a little bit in the post-game presser. He was praising DeGiri for being so team first. And I love the way DeGiri plays, particularly on defense. He's, I mean, he's a really good defender. He's a stopper. But he's not scoring. I mean, he's not going to score. He's just not. I mean, like, it is what it is. And, you know, there's a few other guys in that, in that boat. And so, so that's a legitimate problem. It's a legitimate problem made worse by um, John Bugs and, and Colton Mitchell being out because I think both those guys provide you some depth on the press and both those guys are really good energy guys and defense and can, and can help you if your offensive guys are struggling. You can at least kind of like play um, grind it out sort of ugly basketball for a stretch and not get burned as, as your offensive firepower rests up um so it certainly doesn't help that those guys are out and it doesn't help you that Debaji walker is apparently not going to be eligible this year um or if he is i mean i don't even know if he'll play at this point um if they do declare him eligible and so you you lack another offensive weapon in him but some of that you know is just a function of um you know i mean some of some of that can be overcome i do think by just playing harder. It sounds, it's it's not terribly complex. Like, even the teams that we've lost to these last five, none of them are, other than Virginia, are top, even maybe Harvard later in the year could be top 25 fringe. But these are not, like, overwhelming rosters. These are teams that if you defended for 40 minutes and you hit a few more shots, like, right? I mean, some of it, that's that's a challenge. Like, you could hang with. And so, you know, the overarching view is that, you know, we don't have guys who go both ways terribly well, and that's a problem. Some of that, I hope, can be overcome. And then the other things, more specifically, which are real things, um, and, and things I kind of anticipated going into the season are that we don't have um, a guy who can get to the rim off the bounce as a wing with, with relative ease. We just don't have that guy on the roster right now. Sean East can slither into the lane periodically, although in four of the last five games he's struggled. Um, and, we, and he's not a guy who's going to do it off the catch, really. He can facilitate and start a play, but he's not a guy who you're just going to go to to break a dude down off the dribble. Who, like, I'm trying to think, like, a, I mean, like, obviously Gary Forbes would be the best example, but even, like, a Dante Clark, albeit, like, a less, like, volume shooter Dante Clark, but um, a Zach Lewis, for instance, um, for, for recent UMass fans, 
You just don't really have that guy on the roster. Carl can do it occasionally, but he's still more of a catch-and-shoot guy. That's his stock and trade. And so that's just going to be a challenge because when you don't have a guy who can do that, what happens is, who is UMass offensively? Who is their identity? What's their identity? Well, they have a really good big man down low who can score, and then they have two really good shooters. And occasional really solid penetration from a young point guard. Well, okay, what happens now if those two shooters are both off, or even if one is off? Teams figure this out. They shrink the floor, you know, they they play some help defense, they throw bodies at the shooters, they try to deny them off screens, and, Trey, and they double Trey Mitchell. And I don't know the numbers, but if you look <coughs> at Carl, <coughs> Carl and TJ's, combined three-point percentage the last five games it's not very good and if you take out tj carl's really struggled i mean there's just no denying that he's i I do think he'll get it together at some point and there'll be games that we steal because he'll be like like he did against providence last year five for five in the second half like that's gonna happen make no mistake but and also when when those guys are not doing that it's harder to set up the press and I know that the popular sentiment around UMass Twitter in particular right now, the kind of catch-all, this is the big thing, this is the biggest problem that we need to focus on, is this tendency to go after our press. And I get it. I really do. Because when the press is beat, beaten, broken by opponents, it looks really bad. It just feels and looks awful right because you're legitimately like just it just leads to like super easy dunks and layups and so there's this sense of like doom you know you're just like why are you doing this you just gave up a basket in two seconds to a team that maybe wasn't going to beat you in the half court and in certain cases that is totally true I think there are guys who are not doing what they need to do on the press in terms of just physicality especially in those traps when the trap they don't they don't go hard enough. I don't know enough about the mechanics of a pre- of these of this press, and I'd like to have Bergeron or McCall on the show to discuss it. But I, I can just you can just sense like guys don't go hard enough for the ball. They don't close out hard enough. They don't deny the sideline hard enough. There, you know, that's real and it's frustrating. But I also think like there's a lot of times where that defense does create offense or it creates four on threes and three on twos that lead to offense and when you have a team that doesn't rebound the ball particularly well and doesn't really have guys who get to the cup on their own you kind of have to create those opportunities and so I would like a you know friend of the show stats McKinney or someone to like do a sample of a game and see how many points come off the press directly or indirectly right like I, I just think, like, yeah, we, we haven't mastered it, clearly. We've struggled at times immensely with it. But I do think that when we're just a straight-up half-court team and Carl and, and um, TJ aren't hitting, like, there's not a lot of life there offensively. And so you got to create energy with your defense. So, I mean, look, if Carl and TJ are lights out, then the floor just expands. I mean, you just, it's like the paint opens up. You get it down to Trey Mitchell. It's not that complicated, especially when East is making the right read on on the pick and roll. But when those guys aren't hitting 
and unfortunately Samba remains really reluctant to take the three, well, what happens? I mean, it's just difficult to create offense in the half court. You know, next year, there's guys, I think McCrory and um, Garcia are both guys who can get in the lane as guards with relative consistency, and that's going to change the dynamic. I think that Debaji Walker is an inside-out guy who brings a tremendous amount to the table. But look, that's a year away. And, like, these guys got to understand, like, yeah, it's a process. Yeah, we're building. Yeah, we're going to be better next year. But in terms of competing, that's something you can do every day. You can come and just play your dick off every day. It's hard. It's not always fun. I mean, you know, like, I don't always bust my ass every single day at work. But, you know, for 30, for at least 35 big days a year or whatever that you have in basketball, I do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's kind of like when the game, and, and it's just like, I don't know. I, I guess I don't have a whole lot of patience or empathy for um, effort miscues. I mean, I just think like, and, and that's the thing that's weird too, is like, this is a really nice group of kids, like a really nice group of kids by all accounts. And it's been a delight getting to meet some of the parents of players and, and, and interact with folks on Twitter. And it's a really nice group of kids. And sometimes I just think like, Maybe, I don't know, maybe maybe I'm over overthinking this, but there's not quite the edge there. There's not kind of that, like, I don't think teams are fear playing us, put it that way. And, you know, I think, and, and give Keon credit today, who I've been on at points, like, guys don't really, like, you don't want to be guarded by him. He, he's in your shit. And, um... We need more of that. Same thing with DeGiri. He's in your shit. Problem is those guys don't create at the other end. But um, I just want these kids to compete harder. And I know it, that's a challenge. And But I think it's, it's like, you know, the rebounding stuff and the offensive rebounds and the second chances we've been letting teams get, that stuff can be cleaned up. Like, how many points have we given up on second chance opportunities? too many like it's just that stuff can be cleaned up i'm not saying carl and and, and tj are going to shoot 50 percent from three every night i get it i'm not even saying like trey's not gonna you know make some bad passes and um you know we're gonna not move the ball well like i get all that i don't even care, get too angry about some of the bad shot selection but get a rebound Focus on the little shit, you know? And so, especially in A-10 play, where it's going to be close games, and, like, you don't have the talent to overcome it. And so, you know, right now, like, the talent is decent enough to win some basketball games. We've seen that. And, frankly, like, the way they played in that Lowell game, they were flying off the ball every fucking second. Just flying. Like, you know, a guy would get open, be another guy just flying through a screen to stop him, you know? And... I just want to see more of that. That's, that's where I am. So some tough games coming up. Yale is a very good team. They made the tournament last year. But it's at the Mullen Center, and they are not the same team as last year. It's a winnable basketball game. Um, at some point, I think Pierre's going to get going. 
Um, and then we'll play at Akron, um, who's you know apparently solid. I don't really know much about them. We'll break that down probably before that happens. And then Maine at home. I mean, look, I, I just want to get two of the three here. I, I think I said going in that I wanted to be seven and six in the non-conference, um, and that that would be solid. Um, and so, I mean, we are where we are. It's sort of just how we got there that that remains um, interesting. And, yeah, let's see. Anything else in my notes here? Let's get to the mailbag. It's time for Sam the Mailman, your UMass Athletics mailbag updates. Once again, the show is brought to you by the fine folks at Five College Movers, stress-free moving in the Pioneer Valley and beyond. Great friends of the show, great friends of UMass basketball and UMass athletics. Check them out, fivecollegemovers.com. And let's go to the mailbag. All right. A lot of people are just kind of like brutal game in all aspects. Like they don't even have anything to say. They're just like, in fact, great friend of the show, um, son of large Mark, who always sends a question was just like, he said something like, I just can't right now. He's like, I I can't do it. He's like, and I totally get it. That's, that's, and, and that's the frustration I was alluding to at the beginning. It's like, we do this, we keep doing this as fans. And you get a performance like today, and it's just, it's hard, you know, I mean, it's, it's tough. So, um, let's see, first question is from Jason Levitt, J Levitt 08. He says, rebounding woes, coaching issue, lack of hustle, something else. I would say a little bit of all three. Um, our rebounding woes, I think, are partly a function of, as I alluded to before, our best rebounders not being uh, particularly adept offensively. So DeGiri's a monster on the boards, but you can't really use him reliably as an offensive threat against these types of teams. He had that one great game, but it was against Central Connecticut. He had like 12 boards and a bunch of points. Totally different beast, you know? I mean, it's just Central Connecticut is, is not, it's not a beast. Right? It's like they're dog shit. So that's a challenge. So, that, so part of it is, is mixing and matching lineups-wise, and so I do empathize a bit with with the coaching staff on that one. But some of it, you know, I do think is there's a, there. it seems to me sometimes there's a reluctance uh, to get after it physically among a lot of guys on the team, or at least with consistency. Um, I think Trey is a good rebounder and has some really good rebounding games. I think, understandably, he's very... Uh, loath to pick up fouls because he needs they need him in there so much offensively so I think is that a coaching issue in part yeah but in part like what do you want them to say when you get beat two on one you know and it's two on one foul the guy well you know it's not really his fault that he got beat two on one and you know if he if he goes over the back to get a rebound or whatever we've seen a couple cheap fouls that have really impacted the course of games so I think that's another challenge but then, be, and then Chapman is getting there, but Chapman does this maddening thing sometimes where he like 
takes a ball off the rim before it's does anyone know what I'm talking about? He like he just like steals it from a teammate almost. And today it led to a bucket because he just like goes so high to get the board that he and he doesn't grab it. And then it just bounces to some other dude. He tries to make the spectacular play. So there is some of that. Coaching wise, um I think probably the emphasis, look, like rebounding's not tremendously hard, right? Like it's something you learn pretty early. So I think probably a lot of the emphasis in practice, I suspect, is on implementing the press and figuring out various actions on offense. And yeah, like rebounding probably takes is taken for granted a little. Maybe it's time to just have some grind it out, like just old school practices where it's like guys just gotta get physical. Like I don't I don't really know how you do that as a coach um, for a team that doesn't particularly that's not particularly identified as being a physical basketball team like I don't know how you implement that now um, but I just think at least if nothing else like give Carl Pierre credit against South Carolina he had like eight or nine rebounds you gotta have guards rebound too and I think like yeah an errant carom here and there comes to our guards but on the whole we're not seeing the rebounding effort from everybody on the roster so that's a piece um m agnello 17 says why are they still pressing i kind of alluded to that earlier and i'm going to say again my my hunch is that i don't think they have the offensive firepower or consistency to again it's about the offensive end as much as it's about the defensive end the defensive pressure leads to runouts gets things sped up gets guys the space they need to operate and make plays so if you play grinded out ball now there's an argument that you could just play a different style completely right and just play like Sai Sam uh, excuse me Sai Dejiri and Trey together with like Keon at the one and Pierre at the two and just play like fucking 56 54 ball you know i mean that's an argument that like after today i'm like well we only put up 54 as is might as well just like defend our dicks off like i don't know that's something to consider um but i don't think a guy like weeks or pierre when he gets hot again or east will play particularly well in that system nor necessarily will Trey. Um, uh, Trey could play, be fine in that. But, you know, yeah, I got to think about it with the press. I, I just, I think that, that, that the press becomes a really convenient scapegoat for all our other all our effort challenges. And if they competed for 40 minutes effort-wise, like, we wouldn't be noticing some of these mistakes on the press. They wouldn't feel quite so glaring. And, like, today against Harvard... We pressed fairly well. I mean, when they did beat it, they would, you know, they'd get buckets, but it wasn't, like, as bad as it was the previous games. Um, <coughs> yeah, so there's Son of Large Mark, who's just like, I can't right now. I know it's the ups and downs of being a young team, but we didn't belong on the same floor as Harvard today. They just didn't have the compete, and that worries me. And it worries me, too, and that's what I talked about at the outset of the show. So mostly underscore David, DL24. Good follow, by the way. Doesn't have enough followers. Interesting guy. 
He says, if you had to fire or offer a three-year extension through 2026 to McCall today, what would you do? It's a really good question. One of the better questions we've had in the show in a long time. And it probably forces me to hash out sort of where I'm at with McCall. And I'm going to say, like, just so in the interest of full disclosure on this program, like, I like Matt as a dude, and I think he knows offense really well. And I think last year was a disaster, but he made the right moves. He made the right moves. He did the right things. He made hard decisions. He's imperfect, as basically 95% of coaches are, but he supplemented his staff with guys who are good at things he's not, and he um, got a different type of player that he knew he could work with better. So I, I give him credit for that. That being said, like, obviously the effort today, given what happened last year, raises concerns. And so you'd be loath to extend anyone who's coming off of that year and had a performance like today in such a pivotal moment, in such a kind of high-profile moment for the diehards of this fan base. But what's the alternative? You can't let... Wait, oh, he said 2026? Absolutely not. I'm not extending him to 2026. I think he's... I, I thought it was like three years, like... Because I guess three-year extension. So he's signed through 2023. So no, no, you don't sign someone beyond 2023 based on five and five and like some new staff hires. No, I mean, absolutely not. And by the way, I would say that for just about anyone in the country short of Mike Krzyzewski or Tom Izzo. That's not a knock on McCall. It's just like the dude has 20, 21, 22. He's four years, three years, you know, three years and another 20 games. So like... No, you don't extend. Um, oh, but I wait. Fuck. The question is hard. Or fire him. Fucking a. I have to fire him now. I mean, it's a, it's a crazy hypothetical. Maybe it's not the best question we've had in a while because it's a silly hypothetical. I mean, it's like <laughs> like you can't fire him now. You got a loaded freshman class and a beastly class coming in next year I mean if you can tell me all five of those guys are you know all those guys are back next year <laughs> and give me a above average replacement uh sure fire him all you want but the world doesn't work that way so I probably extend him reluctantly and then um if it doesn't work out after next year, uh, raise the money to buy out the contract. Um, but I'm gonna play a little bit of like, this being, This is a little unfair, but so I would extend him for virtually no money. Like that's my cop out, right? Cause like you need to keep him to build this, but he hasn't done enough to get an extension on merit. Um, and you don't want to fire him because you risk losing all those guys. So I'd extend him for virtually no money, or if you told me I could keep all those guys and get above average replacement, fire him. But that's like a preposterous scenario. And I don't even really want to get into um, fire or return until at the end of next year. Because like, as much as today sucked, I mean, if we saw, like, 10 more of these games this year, like, we'll talk. But as much as today sucked, 
there's a lot of promise on that roster, and there's, I mean, I do believe this team has another win if Debaji's on the team right now. Not, not like, it's not that he's going to take over a game, it's just it gives you a different option in terms of, because right now I think one of the challenges is that effort-wise, it's a little bit tough to figure out the replacement. If TJ isn't shooting well and he's not defending well, all right, like, so you put in Preston Santos. He'll defend well, but he's probably not going to score. So you got to go back to TJ. You know, like, it's just mixing and matching is a little tricky. Um, let's see here. Let's see here. Somebody says, when will they be good again? I mean, I think they'll be genuinely good next year. I actually believe that. And, um, and, and some would say, well... You should say in two years, but you know what? I'm willing to wait, but I'm willing. I'm not willing to wait forever. And unfortunately, like, yeah, Matt kind of got a restart because of like what happened last year and what he did to overcome that. But he doesn't get a total restart, if that makes sense. Like, so this isn't year one. This is like more like to me year two, and then like by or two and a half kind of. By year three, three and a half, you got to be like decent. So I think they'll turn a corner big time next year. But I'm not counting the season off. Like, and that's the thing that's frustrating is like, you have enough talent there to win some games. If your shooters get hot and Trey like does what he needs to do and you get like Colton back at least and you have the press improving, like this team has a 500 season in it. I'm not saying they'll get it, but like, I'd like to see them get close um yeah so let's see other questions hang on let's see Rob Kyer or care Rob care care package C-A-Y-E-R good follow why do we keep pressing when it's a layup for their team or other play? So I just talked about this. I don't agree with that premise. I would love to watch the tape because maybe I'm wrong. I'll cop to being wrong. I'm the first to do it when I am wrong. I just think it's like such an easy one to blame. And I just want to watch some tape and see because oppressed by its very nature is a little bit live by the sword, die by the sword. Like you get a bunch of easy hoops on the other end too, or at least easier hoops. So I'd want to quantify it and see just how much it's costing us. And I'm not sold that this team, with its kind of notable lack of physicality and reluctance to hit somebody, if you will, would be so great in the half court, right? Like, I'm not sold on that. And when they have been, they've not always been great. Sitchman, R. Sitchman, great friend of the show, says, give me three things that need a fix and prioritize. All right, I'm going to prioritize, like, the low-hanging fruit that I think you can improve on. I'm not not just in the sense of like effort because that's a little bit amorphous. It's hard to quantify what that what effort looks like. But I'll try by saying, um, limit offensive rebounds. Just like hit the fucking boards. Once in a while, something's gonna clang out and a guy's gonna grab it. But there have been times where it's just like throw a body on someone and grab the board. That's number one because that could prevent like six, seven, eight points a game, which is going to be the difference in a game like. LaSalle on the road or some shit, you know, like get offensive rebounds. 
Um, <coughs> that's like the only easy fix is my only concern. Um, figure out... Oh, man. The others are a little bit more overwhelming if we're being totally honest. I mean, get Carl hot from three again. I don't know how you do that, but get him. I don't know. He's probably shooting 30% right now. Get him to 38%. That's doable. And that's one, one and a half threes more a game. And again, that's five easy points. Points are not easy to come by. You're playing Rhode Island at home and you got the crowd into it and you're down six. You know, two big threes is a difference in the game. Um, So get Carl hot again from three. And maybe maybe that means like get a little few more for Keon because believe it or not, as much as Keon frustrates me offensively, when he gets open in the corner, he'll bury that shot. So hit a couple more threes. And then three, and I don't know how you do this exactly, but this this was more notable against South Carolina. I'd have to see the stat sheet to know if it's as big a problem as it felt in that game. But limit dumb turnovers. Felt like Cy and Sean and a couple others were just like Samba maybe. Were just like dribbling the ball off their foot and just kind of like, you know, Keon was sort of like running in the lane and throwing the ball away. Like just better basic passing, like thinking through some of your decision making. So those three I think are like the most fixable. Um, I don't think you're going to transform into like this menacing mid-90s style like backyard brawlers defense all of a sudden but I do think that you can kind of tweak those other things and all of those things that I mentioned fall under the F the the, the sort of overarching banner of um, better uh, basically playing for 40 minutes playing harder like it, it's not that complicated in college basketball like there's like 30 40 maybe 50 teams who can beat you even if they're playing badly and everyone else it's kind of like if you play super hard <coughs> you should at least be in the basketball game and UMass is like clearly good enough to do that um they were in the game against the defending national champion despite shooting like dog shit because they played really hard they were beating a decent big east team for 30 plus minutes because they played hard and you know, they should have beaten an SEC team had they played hard for 40. So, like, you do that, and, you know, I mean, you could conceivably be 8-2, and two, probably 7-3 and three right now. Yeah, probably 7-3. and three. At Minimum 6-4 and four if you played hard every game. You know, I mean, so it comes down to that to, to a degree. It's, not, it's easier said than done. Of course, everybody wants to play hard, but, you know, like, just play harder. Like, I don't know. Sometimes it's not brain surgery. Um... Maroon Mafia says, five assists today, not sharing the basketball as well as they were the first five games. Is it a matter of playing better competition the last five games? Yeah, that's a really good point, and it's like one we haven't alluded to yet on the show. I would like to take a look at the tape and see that because it does feel like, man, we are not moving the ball well. Now, some of that, I think, is like teams help defense. Harvard's help defense was really good today. Give them credit. Like, felt like their guys were just flying at us. Like, no matter where we passed, it just, we were sped up. The paint was packed. And I do think some of that, and I'd like to talk to someone who's a little bit more savvy on the X's and O front than I am, but it feels to me like that starts and ends with, well, two things. 
we don't have a guy who can really get in the rim off the bounce. So as a result, like we don't we don't really force help defense and we don't really force teams to collapse on sometimes East can do that and he'll kick out and it's a nice play. But we don't do that with consistency. And um like you know, we don't you don't see us like you saw Harvard so many times just like drive the baseline for like an up and under. We don't really do that. Um and if we, you know, and if we do and the help comes, we don't like make the right read right away and kick and kick it to the right guy. Our, our, our rotations offensively feel a little flat. So it's hard to say if we're a bad passing team or if we're bad spacing the floor team. But I do think it comes down to, to some degree, you know, what is in our control to a degree is um, when, when Carl and TJ hit shots, that just totally opens up the floor. Because you got the guy, those two basically in the corners and like the kind of, big wings or, or kind of like smaller um, bigs can't just collapse on the paint and Trey can kick out or they even have to go one-on-one against Trey because you have two lights out shooters who are hot when those guys aren't doing that aren't hitting I mean man the floor feels small and I think unfortunately we don't and this is where I really and I know people think I'm too high on Debaji Walker but I think you can envision even this year a system in which, let's say Samba's out and Debaji's in. Imagine having an inside-out guy who can go off the dribble a little bit at the at, at kind of like the three slash four in Samba. Oh, excuse me, in in Debaji, and then having those two lights-out shooters with Sean East and Trey Mitchell. Now you're playing a little small. I get that, but offensively, even if just for three, four, five minutes, a lot of offensive firepower because one of those three is going to be hot. You know what I mean? One of those three is going to be hitting. And right now, when, when both our shooters aren't hitting, I mean, Samba doesn't really like to shoot it. So he can't, you know, early in the season when those guys were hitting, Samba would, ca- it would get in and go one-on-one and make that spin move, bang off the backboard, and everything opens up. The whole lane is there. You can dump off the tray. But when those two are missing, we look like an anemic passing team because there's just not the space. You know, teams can just collapse the paint and kind of just make it very difficult for us to move the ball with efficiency or, you know, uh, effectiveness. So I think a lot of it starts, I mean, some of it starts with the fact that we just don't have a ton of guys who can go downhill and get to the rim and kick out. But some of it starts with, um, you know, the fact that uh, when those you know, those two don't hit, we're in trouble. Um, so let's see. Uh, Joel Southerl, who was at the game today, says, "I'm not sure how he could verbalize this on the pod, but," and then just does the following emojis that I will now attempt to verbalize: a basketball, a person vomiting, the feces emoji, the I don't know what this is like, maybe like silence or swearing emoji it's like a bunch of like expletives and like a orange face the crying emoji the thumbs down emoji and the dude hitting himself in the face like ugh emoji um hope i did that adequately um let's see <coughs> johnny who uh the buffalo what's his name the the Bluff blog, big Duquesne fan, really chill dude. Check him out, follow him. He says, when will my shirt arrive 
for the game at Akron so I can support the team. We should Somebody should hook him up. I would actually happily hook him up. I have so much extra UMass shit. And actually, with the second kid coming, when he, before he came, I was cleaning out my closet, and I was like, you know what? I have so much UMass gear. Like, I want to actually give some of this away to newer, to newer fans or younger people or whatever. So maybe I'll do... Um, some tweets on that and like if anybody wants it you can pay shipping and I'll send it off to you because I got some good stuff and I just have so much that I can't keep it all and I'd be happy to, with other fans uh, having stuff for their collections um let's see Riff Raff Street Pat PVL7 good dude we knew this was the tough stretch of the schedule after the hot start, so how much do you recalibrate the season outlook? We're probably about where we all thought record-wise, if not the journey we imagined. Encouraged, worried, reserving judgment. I mean, I think that's basically been the last hour and 20 minutes of this program, is answering that question, which is the right one to ask. Um, but to kind of sum it up, we're about where we expected, and I think these next three games are going to be really revealing because... I think there was like, you know, the last four losses, you could kind of like look yourself in the mirror and be like, all right, we'll get them next time. But there was nothing that quite hit the guys on the head with like, hey, wake the fuck up or this is about to be, <coughs> you know, a 7-23 and 23 year. And Yale at home is is a winnable game. Maine is a game you should win at home, and Akron is a winnable game on the road, although it's very hard to win on the road. But the point is, like, they have... We've seen enough with this group that they have the talent in them to win two of these three. And and I'd like to see that because I think the start of the A-10 slate is real tough. Again, you know, the way the schedule is structured is you had five winnable games to start, five tough ones next three borderlines after that, and then like four or five really tough ones in the A-10. Then you get over the first five in the A-10 or four. I forget what it is. I have to look at it. And we'll have a friend of the show, Stu Ludicky, on uh, to break down the A-10 at some point. But it's a really tough start. And so if you lose like two of these next three and you're six and seven and you're staring down the barrel of like, you know, at Dayton, at St. Louis, at Bonaventure or whatever in your first four or five, I mean, it can get to 6 and 11, 6 and 12, you know, or 5 and whatever real quick. And so I think we're, we're entering this, like, pretty critical stretch. And I just don't want to be in a place where, where we're playing out the string early. Like, that sucks. That's what last year was. I just want to be, like, I understand if we go 1 and 3 to start the A-10 or whatever, but... If we go like 0-4 or 0-5 to start the A-10, now you have a bunch of winnable A-10 games and nobody even gives a shit. And so I think these next two are kind of critical to just like reassuring us that this is at least a respectable basketball team that can win a solid amount of Division I games. Maybe not 17-18, but 13-14-15-16, something like that. Um, okay, let's see. All right, let's see. Any more? I think that might be it. Yeah, that's about it for tonight. All right, guys. Um, as former host, A. Kalegi, or A. Kalegi, Andrew Kalegi, a.k.a. A. Kalegi, for long-term listeners would say, love you, we out, and uh, see you next time. Peace. Peace.